0: All right, thank you, Justin, for agreeing to do this. That's um, okay. um, so I'm going to start by asking you that um, awful question, you how old you are, if you don't mind.
1: I'm thirty-two.
0: Okay, and do you mind telling me a bit about um, sort of your childhood and where you grew up and things like that?
1: Yeah, um, I was born in Belfast. Um, all my family are Irish. I come from a great big sort of Irish background, and during the the troubles and stuff, I think it was about two years old, and they all moved to Manchester. So, quite a lot of my family moved over to Manchester, and then a few of them all went on the globe and things, so we've kind of, like, spread out yeah. globally, <laughs> but, um, since then, grew up just in and around Manchester boroughs, around Trafford, Ernst and Flix and Dave Hume, around there, went to all the schools around there, and then, um, when, I think it was when I was about 19, I met my partner and then moved into Salford, and then worked and go out and things in Manchester City Centre quite a lot now. A bit more about my work background or... I suppose um, I first started off as a graphic designer. Once I'd done my GCSEs and A levels, I didn't want to go to university because I'd had enough <laughs> of sitting in front of classrooms and blackboards and teachers and things. So um, I went straight into being a, sort of a trainee graphic designer, did that for four years, then moved into recruitment did IT recruitment for a while and then moved into recruitment for graphic designers. So I worked for a company for four years and then set up a direct competitors sort of company, which is what I work in today. And that's been going for about five years now. Got a really close family network. I've got I'm the youngest of four, my mum's the youngest of 14, <laughs> and my dad's like the middle of about eight, seven or eight kids. But there's there's quite a sort of strong network of family there. I'm a Two sisters. They've got two kids each. My brother's got another two kids. Me and my partner Robin, we've got parents to Tilly and Archie. Um, I've got quite a good sort of network and social network, of friends and things. And um, we've got really good. We live in Salford Keys, so the area is quite sort. of, It is a little bit clicky. Um, and if you don't know anyone, it can be like really lonely place to live. But because we know quite a few people, quite lucky. And we um, go out quite a lot with neighbours and friends on holidays and just nights out and trips away and stuff. So yes, yeah, so i think of getting a dog as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're truly settled then. Eh? <laughs> yes.
0: uh, I presume you identify your sexual identity as a, a gay man. Yes. So when did you first um, realise your sexuality? What's that what was that process? What was that?
1: Yeah, journey? it's really weird because I can remember being really young and I didn't actually know what being gay was or anything like that. But I can remember being really young and fancying this guy called Les so you remember his name when I was about six. Fancying him. And I wrote him a letter saying that I loved him. <laughs> um, I actually gave it to him. And I remember really fancying my cousin, Brian, who was really, really good looking. Um, but I was really young. I was like, mm. like about eight or something, seven or eight. And it was weird because all anyone that I met who was a girl, they were always like a really good friend and Mm. I really loved them as my best friend and stuff and uh, I I am a bit cliche in that and when I grew up through school all my friends were girls. I was fine, I was really popular through Mm. nursery school, infant school and junior school and then as soon as I hit the grammar school and turned like 11, 12, Mm. I met and mixed with other kids that were completely unknown to me all from different areas and different schools and stuff, it was then that people started to notice that I was totally different from (laughs) a lot of them. And um, it was just bizarre because all of a sudden it was like, um, I I went from being like Mr Majorly, you know, popular, lots of friends, and always, you know, going out with all my mates and stuff, to having absolutely nobody Mm -hmm. and being like completely singled out and quite lonely, actually, and and it was, wasn't was until the word camp and gay and stuff was used at that age, once I hit 11, 12, that I actually realised, you know, what the word meant yeah. and what it, you know, related to, and because of my previous sort of experiences when I was younger, I kind of thought, I can't really argue against them because <laughs> I think it's true. <laughs> Well, sussed me out. <laughs> and it was it was weird, because obviously it, it, some people can put on an act or, you know, go out with girls and stuff. And to be honest, they did have quite a few girlfriends, um, but they were kind of just friends. <laughs> we kind of snogged a lot already. That was it, really. But from there, I think it was that change from going into the grammar school that people kind of pointed it out. Before that, I think it always... I already kind of knew, you know, I fan- or who I fancied and why and, you know, I really kind of did have, I thought my hormones was to be going wild at an early age, but um, I kind of knew anyway. But it wasn't until I was about, I think it was about sort of 18 that I actually definitely properly came out and um, before that um, I was quite sort of, I don't know, I, I didn't want to come out at school because I knew that I'd get absolutely, you know, pulled to pieces I got a lot of verbal and mental abuse at school, but never really physical. Mm. I remember one lad trying to eat me up in the corridor and he was quite shocked that I retaliated and you know hit back yeah. and things. And I think from there, I used to have, um, one of my best friends was like the, what they called the cock of the school. So he was like the you know the, the toughest in the school. And I had loads of friends who lived in Partington as well. So um, a load of my friends were really, really rough and lived mm. in a really rough estate in Partington. And no one would go near them, no one would mess with them. And I kind of have their protection, you know, quite a lot as well. And of course, I lots of girly friends, you know, a lot of the girls sort of stuck up for me. And, but they always said, he's not gay, he's not. And <laughs> I mean, used to be like, yeah, I'm not. But deep down here it was. And that would be, you know, that's kind of always going to come out at some point.
0: And, um, you know, you talked about sort of the change when you sort of went to... To grammar school, big school. To big school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sort of, how did that make you feel, those kind of, what sort of emotions mm. were, were there, was it?
1: It was really, it was really sad. I mean, kids can be so cruel. And um, I was just like, oh, I was tortured through lessons. I can remember kids, you know, openly shouting, you know, queer, faggot, puff. Just all the words under the sun. Fag was a real <laughs> favourite of their faggot. You know, really, you know, putting their Fs and Gs and Rs and Ts into it. And I used to, like, get really kind of bothered by it. I remember going home crying, you know, to my mum. And my mum was like, oh, Justin, you know, what's wrong? And I couldn't tell her. I felt like I couldn't tell her because I just didn't want... Number one, I didn't want my mum to sort of, like, you know, think any less of me. Not that she would. But number two, I didn't want her going into school and telling, you know, the teachers and stuff and them having to do something about it. The teachers kind of, of course they heard it, and of course they knew it was going on, but didn't do anything Mm. about it. Absolutely none of them If anything, a couple of them encouraged it, and if anything, a few of them just completely ignored it and pretended, like, ignored it completely and pretended it it wasn't happening, brushed over it, you know, told someone to shut up and sit down. So it was quite difficult. There was, I think, mentally, it was quite difficult, especially being that young... (laughs) <laughs> it makes me feel up like now, it's really quick. Oh. <laughs> but I think when I turned, I think it was when I turned about 15, 16, it was, it was kind of like, I kind of found my feet a little bit more, kind of got more friends and yeah. stuff. And then I said to myself, because it was A-level time, and they were sort of saying to me, you know, are you going to do A-levels, are you going to go to college, what are you going to do? And I was like, no, that's it, I'm jacket in when I'm 16, oh. and I'm going straight off to to college. Um, but I didn't. Um, I stayed at that school for another two years. Mm. And I think it was just out of stubbornness because people said that I wouldn't, and people said that I couldn't, and yeah. people said, you know, they'll make your life a misery if you stay any longer. It kind of made me go, well, I'm not having them dictate to me. I didn't know what to do anyway. I didn't know what I wanted to be mm. when I was 16. So I just kind of just like dug my heels in and um, stayed for another two years. And it was weird because I was at the same school and I think it was kind of the respect that I gained from that, you know, to show standing that strength up. to just yeah. say. It was really yeah. weird. It was just so strange. And I just stayed there for another two years. I made loads of really good friends. I worked at McDonald's for about a year and I made loads of good friends there. And it was even when I got my first job at McDonald's, oh, that was difficult because there were loads of people going, you know, who was different? Or, mm. And they kept saying, you remind us of this guy. You remind us of this guy called Simon. You remind us of this guy. And people kept saying it. Mm. And I was like, who is this guy? I didn't even know who he was. And then later on, someone told me, they said, uh, oh, it's this guy, um, this guy used to work here. And everyone swore blind that he was gay. And I was like, oh, right. So, and it was for about two weeks, they were going, doesn't he remind you, Si? Doesn't he remind that? Si? <laughs> and I was like, oh, Simon's must be a, like, look guy." <laughs> and they were like, yeah, we all thought he was a faggot. And it was like, what? And I just thought, no, I can't believe this is happening. And... It was through, you know, McDonald's that I met a couple of friends yeah. who were also gay. And then um, and the friends that I met, we used to all start going into the village then. I must have been about 17, I think it was. We all started going into the village and we all started going out on nights out and stuff. And I think that's where, you know, my mind kind of turned around a little bit. and moved out of Ermston <laughs> oh. <laughs> I got away from the small minded. I think there's a lot of small-mindedness. and um, I think a lot of people... You know, I do think I do believe people have choices in life. Um, my dad's really racist. My dad's, you know, a horrible person when it comes to, you know, ethnic minorities or I'm I'm sure before he used to be, you know, sort of bigoted and prejudiced against, you know, gay people, but I didn't grow up like that and I would never, you know, mm-hmm. put someone down because of the colour of the skin or anything like that. And, you know, my mate at school, Lee. He was actually, you know, half caste and came from a mixed-race family. His dad was black and his mum was white. And I knew my dad used to say things about Lee, you know, behind yeah. his back and stuff. And I just thought, I can't tolerate this, you know. And I, I do believe people have their own minds and people make their own choices. It, that Yes, you know, you get brought up in a certain way and your mum and dad teach you different values. But I think you do have your own mind and your own choice yeah. whether you take on them values like my mum and dad, maybe go to church every Sunday, you know, really religious Christian background, but um, to be honest, I don't carry any of that on, I don't carry any of my dad's sort of, you know, racism on, you know, there's things that family members do that I would never do, and even though I've been brought up in that close family, close-knit family, you know, I do believe you have your own choice whether you do follow that or whether you have your own, you know, path that you follow yourself, so I like to believe that I've Picks, you know, a good path and, like, live from the peoples sort of things and let that, like, the crap out and just carried on down like this nice route, which is pink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's got a yellow big Yeah.
0: So, that sort of coming out process, um, mm. how did it sort of change things for you and what was sort of the reaction from... Family, friends
1: from the past, that kind of. Oh, it's weird that you say that because I've just recently got in touch with some friends that I did go to school with that I really enjoyed, Mm. you know, the company and really actually got on with. And we met up through Facebook and stuff again. And there's a, a couple of sets of friends that never actually got on, so we used to, you know, go out with them separately. And, um, like, I hadn't met up with them for about 10 11, 12 years, mm-hmm. and they were like, What happened? You know, I said it was just so difficult. So, I was coming out as a you know, I had this new, exciting life to lead, and two of my friends had babies and stuff at a really young age. Yeah. like One of them was 14 when she was pregnant and had the baby when she was 15. And I was stuck by her and I was there, you know, not at the delivery of the baby, but I was there for both of them when they were going through labour and stuff yeah. at the beginning. And then their partners, um, who were good for nothing, <laughs> came later and kind of took over from that, which was fine by me. Yeah. <laughs> But I, um, it was they were really, really close friends, you know, to be there for the start of the labour and stuff, mm. it's like a really close friend to be part of that. And uh, I kind of cut connections with quite a lot of people, not because, you know, I didn't like them anymore, but I just felt there was this pressure that I didn't want to have to come out to them as well as everybody else, mm. you know? And I was coming out to, when I first came out, it was really, really difficult. I met my partner Robin and we, um, went out for about four to six months and uh, I didn't tell anybody and for me that is really, really difficult yeah. not to tell someone that thing, you know, that something that close. And it's when the different sets of groups of friends who never mixed, you know, started to say, how come we don't see you as much as we ever used to? But all of them saying you know, it. Mm-hmm. And I used to say, well, I'm staying over at Anne-Marie and Emma's or... Yeah, I tell I like, Marie and Emma and stay over at Joanne and uh, Amy's and then mm. Joanne and Amy would say, "Oh, well, stay at Vicky and Christine's." <laughs> <laughs> so we had like this little this little sort of lie that and it it kind of went on for about four to six months. Um, and I wanted to make sure that you know Robin was a good guy and he wasn't some you know um, idiot that I was going to regret ever introducing to anyone and stuff. So it was from there I told two or three of my closest friends and then. Kept them as really good friends. They were the ones that I met at McDonald's and mm-hmm. things, so that was really good. i was still friends with them to this day. And then I came out to my mum and then and sister, and then I was like a bull in a china shop, and I just told <laughs> everybody that I met. <laughs> it was like this, I'm here. You know, and my mum was really sort of gutted. She was, I kind of turned the telly off. There was a few times I, wanted to, I set off to tell my mum, because at this point, I actually moved in with Robin and we were like living with each other, which happened really quickly, but it was nice. <laughs> it seemed right. <laughs> well. But um, Robin was quite a bit older than me. Um, and I was going out with him for about four months and um, I was gay. So to tell my mum, I just mm. didn't have one thing to tell her, I had a few <laughs> things to tell her. Oh, tell, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and it was when I was watching telly and my mum in the living room and she got up and switched the telly off that I knew something really bad was coming <laughs> and she said, you know, I want you to tell me the truth, you know, are you seeing somebody, you know, what's going on, mm. we don't see you, you know, we, we come in and you're out of our lives, you, that's not like you, um, what's going on, you, you're quite sort of, you're not secretive about what you're doing, but you don't seem to be telling the whole story. Mm. And then I told my mum, I said, I'm gay, and she said, I thought so, you know, I knew, She's kind of said, I knew it, I knew it, like that. And she was like, you know, well, oh, I just don't know what to say, don't know what to say. And then the doorbell went, and I was like, who's this? <laughs> and she went, that's your Auntie Doris. And my mum and my Auntie Doris are like, you know, twin sisters They weren't, yeah. but they were like Siamese twins, mm-hmm. and they knew everything about each other. So my Auntie Doris comes in, and um, she was sort of saying um, she could feel the tension the atmosphere straight away. And she was saying, what's going on? You know, my mum had this new chair massage thing, and it vibrated. And I just, my auntie Doris was like, oh, look at this, look at this. And she was giggling a lot in the way. And then when she saw like, yeah. we were laughing, and there was this big tension and atmosphere, she was just like, what's going on? And she was turning it off. And she said, what's happening? And mum said, go on, tell your auntie Doris, because I tell her everything anyway. And i never forget it, because I said to my auntie Doris, I was like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm. And my mum went, see? You can't even say it, can you? And I went. I can. I'm gay, Auntie Doris. I'm gay. <laughs> i like announced it, like proud. And then um, my Auntie Doris turned around and she just said, "Just as long as you're happy, that's all that matters." And I was like, "Oh!" <laughs> and my mum's like really shocked because mum's the youngest of mm. the fourteen kids, and my Auntie Doris is near the top of yeah. the, you know the elderly rank. And there seems to be a hierarchy of, you know, being respectful to, Mm -hmm. you know, your elders and things. my mum's really shocked, so she goes, you know, how can you say that? So I'm not sure how my mum would have took it on her own. I think it would have been quite difficult. But then my aunt Doris said, um, you know, have you met anybody? And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And my mum hadn't asked me that question. So she was like, um, and I thought, I'm quite glad my auntie Doris is here now. Yeah, just diffuses she, that. Yeah. yeah, and she seemed to be supporting me, and that seemed to be fine with me, you know. And my mum had to listen to her big sister, and I was like, ah, yes, I'm one here. And then I said, yeah, his name's Robin. And my mum was like, is that where you're living now? And I said, yeah, and with Robin. I said, um, he's a really nice guy. And my auntie Doris just said, how old is he? And at this point, I was 19. And Robin's 45 at that point. And he looked about, you know, 35. And, but to be honest, even from, like, a young age, I've always sort of, you know, never fancied guys my own age. I've always fancied guys that were older than me. I don't know why, it, but it's great. <laughs> but Robin's, like, lovely. And I said to them, you know, he's really lovely, he's really nice, you know. But the age gap for them seemed quite difficult mm. to get over. So um, I gave my mum, you know... My address and my new address and <laughs> <laughs> um, my phone number and everything and you know, let her know I was safe and yeah. stuff. And uh unbeknownst to me is on my way home, driving home, my mum rang Robin um and gave him like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <after my son. laughs> just two hundred million questions. <laughs> my, Robin was just like when I got home, I was like, Hiya, hey, told my mum and he <laughs> Yes. She's just been on the phone and apparently he was saying, you know, he totally reassured her and said, mm-hmm. look, I'm not a dirty old man. He said, you know, Justin actually came on to me, which he did. It was in via as well." And then when I first met him, I wouldn't in Willow, And then he gave me his card to ring him mm-hmm. and I left it for about a week, playing hard to get. And then I rang him and we met up a few times. And then it got, you know, sort of after a few dates and stuff, it got more serious from there. So um he just reassured my mum, just let her know if everything's okay. It really helped my mum. Yeah. It really sort of, we brought my mum out because my mum and dad divorced when we were about, when I was 13. So, and I'm her little baby son kind of mm. thing. So it really helped, you know, talking it through with, you know, this complete stranger who's her son's brand new boyfriend. Yeah. You know, it kind of in a weird way helped. Um, Robin's Irish. And they're from the similar sort of area in Northern Ireland and they're both, you know, not that it would have mattered, but I think it would have mattered to my mum and dad. And Robin was Protestant and they're Protestant yeah. and it kind of I think if I'd said, I'm going up with this guy and he's Catholic <laughs> and he's black I was gonna say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fine without gay got thing. One but... leg. Yeah. <laughs> if there's too many uh, sort of minority issues, I think they would have freezed. That the gay thing and the age gap thing was you know big enough. enough for them. But after that, you know, I told all my family. The only person I didn't tell myself, which I made a point of doing, was my dad. And it was at my eldest brother, well, my brother's um, wedding. And um, Me and Robin were invited because mm. him and Jane were getting married. And uh, I remember just sort of saying to my mum, I've not told dad yet, dad's going to be at the wedding. My mum and dad were kind of talking mm. properly because they have been divorced. Yeah. So there's a great big sort of family um, politics going on anyway. And this would just add, you know, mm. more sort of wood to the fire. So I didn't want to come out to my dad before just before the wedding and I didn't want to come out to him during it. I wanted to wait till afterwards, but trying to keep Robin's identity secret, mm. who's this guy, you know, we kind of fobbed him off at first, which is really bad. Now <laughs> I, now I think that we made um we made this little story for Robin to follow that he had to be um because he was Irish, it was yeah. quite easy because a lot of the family from Northern Ireland came mm-hmm. over it was quite easy to slot him into a, he's a friend of the, the family's, yeah, on, on my mum's side that my dad didn't quite know, but because we're such quite close-knit families, it was quite difficult, because my dad was like, I've never seen him before, you know, who is he, blah, 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 but in the end, um, I think my dad, it was after the wedding, my dad wanted to give me a lift home, but he wanted to pop to the shops and then come back, yeah. and give me a lift home after that. And I didn't want to tell him where I lived. I didn't mm. want to show him, you know. And he, I'd always told him that I was living with friends who were all students at this time. We were all in student digs and stuff, which was true for about a week. <laughs> <coughs> and then, and that's when it came. It came to like not telling lies, just, just excluding, yeah, so,
0: not updating them. All, and huh? Do you know
1: what? I think you know to be the best liar in the world, you don't make up a big complex story. You make up. Nothing. You make everything as true as possible, so you don't have anything to remember, and you just leave little elements of the story mm. out. But anyway, I learned this really quickly, and then, but by this time, it got the you know the the hidden story bits yeah. that I kept quiet were all getting too big to to hide anymore. And it was when I left um, the house before my dad got back from the shops that my mum and my eldest sister took it upon themselves to tell him. Mm. On my behalf, which I wasn't too happy about, I didn't ask them to do it. They didn't. They simply didn't consult me in doing it. And my dad was the only one that took it really badly. Didn't speak to me for about six months or so. Um, wouldn't have anything to do with me. He kind of, for some reason, apparently he, he kind of sort of like said, oh, I must have been a good enough dad. But my dad was lovely, you know. He never hit us as kids, mum did all the hitting with wooden spoons and things. I think it's an nice. But my mum used to be the dictatorial one, my dad was a bit of a walkover to be honest, but my dad never drank, he never, you know, beat my mum up, he never hit any of the kids. He was quite a good, you know, hard working dad and um, he kind of blamed himself, said he wasn't much of a father figure and that's what I was going after and yeah. so all the normal cliches and I said, you know, he did ring me at work finally after about six or seven months and um he said that he'd like to go out for dinner with me and robin and stuff and he's got a new girlfriend at this point so he said i'd like you to be introduced to tisha so we met tisha and i was like what a funny name tisha <laughs> um and she said oh i'm from like an irish background himself and i said you're not from because from your accent you sound sort of Southern Irish." Yeah. And she went, yeah, 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 you know, I'm from a big Catholic family. (laughs) And you know what? If you put homosexuality next to the Protestant and Catholic, you know, Republic and, you know, loyalist sort of feud in Northern Ireland, um, homosexuality doesn't come anywhere close to (laughs) the anger and the, you know, 100 years of of sort of hatred and stuff between them all. And I was like, that's quite a big thing for you, Dad, to, mm. you know, be seen. I was quite proud of him because I was like, at last, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. get over it. And she apparently had said to him, um, my eldest son, David, has, is gay and he's in a 14-year relationship with his partner mm. and I hope you don't mind, you know, when he, when he introduced uh, you. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was like, I know, not know, one of my sons is gay, Justin. And she's like, oh, has he seeing anybody? And he said, yes, yeah, he's seen this guy, called mm. Robin. And she went, what's he like? You know, where did he live? And my dad said, oh, no, I've not spoken to him for six months. And apparently she gave him an ultimatum. He said, if you don't, you know, love your own son because he's gay, you know, I can't expect you to, you know, be anywhere near my family because you've obviously got a problem with your own son. You'll have a problem with mine. And she goes, and I just won't stand for it. Mm -hmm. So she said, you either carry on the way you are and we just go our separate ways. Or you can, you know, make it up just in, and we go out for a nice meal. So I was always like, always thank Tisha for that. Yeah. You know, they're not together anymore. But I always sort of thank, yeah. uh, I always remember for it. It was kind of one of those barriers to break down. My eldest brother as well, he kind of gave my dad a bit of a, a, bit of a talking to and said, you know, you're going to lose one of your sons if you're not careful. Do you really want that to happen? Yeah. So, uh, and then from there, my dad met Robin, really got on with him really well and now, if I'm not in, my dad will pop round for coffee <laughs> with Robin and watch the match. Yeah. And like, it doesn't matter if I'm there or not, <laughs> but I like it like that, I yeah. think that's nice.
0: Definitely. Um, and so, obviously you met Robin kind of while you were going through that sort of comedy, yeah. out of thing. So would you say he was like the biggest support that you had through that? Yeah, concert? I met Robin
1: when I was 19, Um, in Via Vossa downstairs. Yeah. We, I was a bit drunk, as always, and like a bit mad and mental. And I saw him straight away as soon as I came down the stairs in the foster, and I just, you know, he came, came over to chat to me, because I was with quite a large group of friends, but it was me that kind of, you know, sort of made the first move and all this, as if I knew what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but he was my biggest support, definitely. Um, I think he, he lost count on the number of times I left my house to go and... Come out to my mum, yeah. and he used to sort of sit there, absolutely, you know, cacking his pants, thinking, Oh my god, and then come home and go, It just wasn't, it didn't feel right, and I've not done it. And he'd be like, I've been tired for two hours, worrying about you. Yeah. But no, he was the biggest support. Um, my elder sister, she used to be, you know, a massive big sort of, club queen in Lanzarote, she mm. lived in Lanzarote for eight, eight years, and um, she used to take me, you know, out to all the clubs and stuff. She introduced me to quite a few gay people that were her best friends, and she used to share a, an apartment in Lanzarote with a transsexual Kushana who was gorgeous, absolutely brilliant, you know, and a best friend. And it, when I came out to my sister, I felt that she would be my biggest support. <laughs> she was really shocked, <laughs> and I was like, "Honestly, oh, really shocked." and she actually waited for me you know, not to be at home when when I was talking mm. to her I was talking to my sister I was at my mum's house and she waited until I'd left my mum's house to ring because she was in Lanzarote to ring back and speak to my mum about it and say is this true my <laughs> mum was like yes Robin's just been round for dinner and she, she couldn't leave it she was like <laughs> Justin's gay and I was like oh my god are you like have you been living under a rock not? and I think if it's that close to you sometimes you yeah, don't, you don't yeah. notice is it
0: it's your brother and. <laughs> someone asked
1: me the other day I've, I've worked with them for about eight years they're a client and they asked one of my work colleagues um, how my kids were how's Justin and the kids you know and all that and she said what and apparently the, the, the other guy that works with this guy that asked the question said, are you joking? <laughs> and he was like, no, no. And then he was like, Justin's gay. And he was just like, really? I thought you had kids and things. And to be honest, though, it doesn't really matter if you are just not seeing it. It was just so strange. Um, But yeah, Robin helped me through loads of stuff. Loads of, um, I didn't tell anyone at work. the job I was at when it properly came out. I waited until I got to what I thought was a more grown-up work atmosphere. Mm. I remember telling people it was an IT recruitment agency, it was really hard sell, it was all very testosterone driven, Um, the women were, you know, cut your grandma's neck, you know, for two (laughs) pence, if it meant that you made an extra quiz. It was really, really, it was really sort of a bad atmosphere. Um, But I remember just saying, I've just fed up with not telling anybody and they were like, you know, are you gay? And I was like, yeah, I am. And they were like, fine. And then um, it wasn't until they found out the age difference that they started to be like really weird and a bit nasty. And Mm. so so I wasn't there for very long. I left after about six months. But then I went to um, a proper sort of PLC company that was a real HR driven organisation. Everything had to be seen as politically correct and stuff. And that was when, you know, I first had a real taste of being able to come out at work and be kind of, I felt protected by HR and actually you can't say anything to me. (laughs) I know my rights, kind of now. Because before I just thought, this can't be right. And then I moved to another company and they they were fine with me and that was a small independent company. So it shows you just just because a big company is ruled by HR, you know, it doesn't mean anything really. It's when you get into a smaller independent company and everyone's themselves not thinking of HR and stuff that you actually think, you know, these were actually genuine people that, yeah. you know, are are cool with it. And mm. that's what you know, that was really good. And that was only about um nine years ago. So went through quite a lot of prejudice at work initially and then it came, it all seemed to be yeah. fine. And when I joined this company it just it was just fine. You know, it wasn't even an issue. Even mentioned yeah. It. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just the different environments, isn't mm-hmm. it?
0: Obviously, other than the sort of networks and connections that you had, where mm-hmm. else did you sort of go for information about LGBT issues, mm-hmm. sort of as a young person, kind of looking for
1: inspiration? I, yeah. yeah, so
0: you know, obviously now people may log on to the web and, yeah. you know, I think
1: in, in in my day,
0: <laughs> I was going to say
1: <laughs> it's, not there. it's weird because I remember being um, in my first job that they just or they just you know started to use emails instead of faxes so it really was in my day I didn't have access to the internet the internet wasn't really that big um you know when I was 19 which is um about 12 years ago now it wasn't really a big thing at all there wasn't really any information there I didn't go out looking for I didn't even realize support groups existed Mm. I was probably with Robin and his support network of of gay friends and they kind of taught me everything I knew about the scene, the social scene, you don't have to go to Canal Street you know a lot of people go to other places, a lot of dinner parties you know just friends being out together on holiday or you know just in general public and stuff and it was real eye-opener for me, it made me feel brilliant because I mixed with mainly lesbians because a lot of Robin's friends were lesbians but lesbians and gay men and there's just no issues. There was um two women that had um, I want to keep saying the names. That's supposed to shut up. there were two women that had um, a daughter and um, it was from one of their previous relationships. And then there was um, another set of um, lesbians who were very much in love and the one of the pe- one of the partners, her sister was a lesbian as well, and then I met another Um, group of friends of Robins who also had about two or three sisters and brothers all in the same family who were gay and so you know you start sort of mixing and I didn't really read a book or read an internet site I just sort of learnt it as I went along and I didn't actually think I was learning but I obviously picked things up and stuff and realised what you know what works, what doesn't work you know the the sort of diversity of, of life which is out there and you know not to feel too sort of narrow don't feel like you are pigeonholed really i mean i'm a gay man but to be honest the, the people that i mix with are so varied i don't feel like i fit into any sort of real cubby hole or real pigeonhole i feel like you know it's it's quite open and free and yeah. i feel like i've chosen a path which isn't you know sort of written in stone you know and it is kind of right as you go along and make it your own really yeah
0: and um, was there anyone in particular that was sort of a positive role model in terms of even if that was in the real world, if you want, or in the media at that time, that you um, kind of. I think there's always
1: Martina Navratilova, <laughs> who was always one boy George. Everyone always knew. I didn't know whether boy George was a girl or a boy at first. <laughs> I was really naive back then. Um, but the people like that in the media. I mean, it's weird because boy George. I can remember people taking the rip out of him. And yet buying all his songs yeah um but now, martina no one ever really made fun of her she was like really well respected oh. and things and i thought you know that was quite unusual the difference between those two there wasn't anyone that i truly sort of looked up to and admired um and i wish you know that i could be like them no, no one really sticks out in my mind i know quinton Chris, and i knew a little bit about him and the mm. witch hunt thing and stuff and I felt like kind of knew where it was coming from. And to be honest, the best thing for me, um, which is probably similar to web now, the best thing for me was late-night telly. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of late-night telly that I used yeah. to watch, and, you know, like, the word would be on. Yeah. And the, the tube, was it the tube? Yeah. And just things like that that would come on. And they had so many diverse characters and so many diverse people coming in and being interviewed. And um, I think that's when, you know, more celebrities came out and things that I started to... Annie Lennox, even though she's not gay, she was someone that I always sort of admired because of her work that she used to do with HIV and AIDS, and she always supported her gay friends and stuff, and I always kind of felt, you know, I'd love a friend, you know, like Annie Lennox, that was really supportive like that. Uh, And I did at the time have a few... But there was, also, there was always Queen. I was never sure when I was younger whether he was gay, although I was always confused. We I
0: mean, look back now. My gaydar was
1: rubbish. My gaydar is still rubbish. I still assume people are gay when they're not and don't pick up on really obvious singles that people are gay when they are. And I'm just sometimes I assume that everyone's straight until they prove me wrong. <laughs> just so I don't get, I don't get yeah. stuck somewhere. Oh, but I think that's what it was. And sometimes, like... Things that I admired and looked up to, like I used to watch the Golden Girls all the time. I loved the Pet Shop Boys, you know, um, Cher was one of my favourites. I loved Dolly Parton when I was younger. You know, all these things that now when I hear, when I hear people going, Oh, they are, I of loved Golden Girls. And I was like, really? And I, said, I thought i would be like one of the very few people in the world that would be watching it. And, you know, and, and Pet Shop Boys, I used to have posters of Pet Shop Boys all over mm-hmm. the bedroom wall. Not naked women, (laughs) pet shop boys. And uh, that could have been a giveaway if my mum had a look (laughs) a bit closer. But uh, I used to remember asking my brother for a pet shop boys poster and that's all I wanted. Mm. I was like, I just want a pet shop boys poster. And my brother was like, really? Well, my my brother and sister were quite into the music. So they were like, like, yeah, it's quite cool, I suppose, you know. (laughs) but um, gay icons and things I think I sort of developed them as I got older you know, and people that I sort of learnt to know and they're not necessarily gay or lesbian but they're, you know, a gay icon within their own right, yeah. you know um, that I've, I kind of sort of admire and look up to I think these days I look more to people like you know, your um, sports personalities that are coming out at the moment, Mm. um, one a week now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) We had rugby, didn't we? uh, Ricky Martin.
1: But, you know, I I find it difficult to look up to someone like Ricky Martin. Um, And I think, you know, people like Elton John and George Michael, you know, I think things happened where they kind of, and Stephen Gately, where they hadn't really got a choice to come out, yeah. they kind of came out because things were happening in their life that they had no control yeah. over. Whereas people who sort of choose to come out at a certain time, I think have more admiration for them. I think the easiest thing to be is not to be in the closet in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. at times we'd take that and the stuff, it was quite difficult to do stuff like that obviously. Yeah because you wanted the fan base, or you wanted to be popular, so being gay was not seen to be that mainstream, that popular in those days. You fields. can't
0: sell it to, to <coughs> <No>. age <teenage> girls. <laughs> I know, and
1: yeah, I think now it might be a bit different. You get a band full of, you know, young, gorgeous-looking guys that just happen to be gay, and I think girls just scream at them anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: We can change
1: it.
0: <laughs> what would you say, then, what would be your best and worst memory from being a
1: I'm gay. A young I'm gay. gay person. Oh, it's weird. I think the best memories of memories of like the support I had from all my friends and things when times were tough. I think my worst memory oh there's so many <laughs> I think oh do you know what was my worst nightmare ever? Mm. A school trip. Oh. That was the pain <laughs> of my life. Because it wasn't just a school trip, it was who am I going to sit next to on the coach on the school trip Mm. because no one wants to sit next to me? Who's going to share a room with me in the dorms or the bedrooms because no one wants to share with me? Things like that. School trips were a nightmare. Walking down in pairs to go to the coach, walking in pairs, sitting in pairs on the coach, going in pairs to bedrooms, and a lot of people wouldn't be seen dead with me because they have the reputation by association. Mm. And it just seemed to, you know school trips whenever i got the letter saying we were going into hadrian's wall was just absolutely like i just don't know what i'm gonna do i don't know what, I don't what i'm a gonna policy. do i just have to turn up and just let everyone take the piss out of me get on a coach if i was if nobody wanted to sit next to me that's fine i used to sit on my own and i used to just be like that because a lot of the girlfriends that i had they were all like i want to sit with emma and vicky mm. wants to sit with christine and yeah, and I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to like sit with Vicky, and then Christine would be like, oh, I'm on my own now. <laughs> so I had to kind of like just sit on my own and be done with it. <gasps> the other really good thing about being oh, wow. gay growing up was boy showers. <laughs> <laughs> I and mean, even now, to this yeah. day, going to the gym in the changing room, in the showers—it's like I bet some girls would kill for this. <laughs> I <laughs> also showers were bad because then it was like who was gonna sit next to me in the showers, who I'll was say gonna say I'm looking yeah. yeah and who's gonna like share the locker next to mine, you know, without going, ooh, I'm not gonna in the locker next to that puff kind of thing. Um football was a crap time, um being pick, picked last and not being not being very good at it. it wasn't very good. So I ended up opting for hockey and trampolining instead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And how do you think those um, experiences have then sort of impacted you in later life? I know, like we talked sort of at the start, like, you know, that sort of thing, that I'm going to prove you wrong, I'm going to be stronger. Yeah. Do you think it's think kind it of... Is.
1: Yeah, I have got like a, a sheer and um, dissemination. I think people underestimate me. Um, And I think that's my own fault because of the the sort of perception that people have of me when they first meet me. And it's like, "Ah!" (laughs) it's like bright and jolly and like, oh, everything's all, you know, fluffy clouds and Mm. stuff, which is great. Mm. And, you know, that is kind of my fun side and I'm not changing that for anyone. Mm. But when it comes to sort of business and work and things like that, I am really determined. I am very ambitious. I have a quiet ambition. I don't shout it from the rooftops. I do really well at what I do and, you know, I'm, I make sure that I'm the best at what I do, at everything. Um, and I, I tend not to give up until, like, you know, if, if there's some, some way, like in, I'm in recruitment now, so there's some way I can get a candidate a yeah. job or help a client find someone that's right for their company, I won't give up until, you know, I've done it. Yeah. So I think it's stubborn, a bit stubborn as well. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and it kind of does give you a strength, you know, because I was sort of verbally and mentally abused at school by other kids and, you know, to some extent, you know, the teachers and things yeah. as well, it does make you quite... I mean, my sort of... People say it's, it's like you have, you, I've got an acidic tongue and, you know, I can be really cutting yeah. back. It helps me fight my corner. I don't have to use my fists. I can use yeah. my, my mouth. And sometimes I can use it really well. And sometimes I can use it maybe to my own detriment where yeah. people are like, me," you know? <laughs> So there is that side of it as well, where it's made me quite, you know, sort of a little bit defensive, you know, in times of yeah. when I've been confronted about certain things. I can be quite defensive and um, quite cutting, um, which can sometimes be a bad thing as well. But the good sides are, you know, definitely been able to stand my own ground. I won't let people, you know, cut me down. I won't let people, you know, sort of shout me down. I'll always shout louder, mm-hmm. you know, better than yeah. them. And, there's people that I've had, you know, in business as well as you know, social that you know have upset me or have come across that aren't terribly nice. Mm. But to be honest, it kind of, you know, it kind of doesn't phase me too yeah. much. I do find that I am very, very much more open-minded to everything and anything, and let you know the different walks of life that I bump into. I try not to judge them straight away. I try and. If someone's really, you know, if I met somebody and I think they're absolutely mad bonkers and, you know, they've upset me or something that they do isn't quite fitting yeah. right with me, um, I'll normally give them a second chance or a third chance and yeah. until they prove me really wrong. I yeah. <laughs> they like, they're, they're like completely, no, they're <laughs> yeah, and then I like totally cut ties with them and stuff. But I don't like to um, turn my back on people, you know, and first impressions, they do count and people do take notice and you know to be honest in business first impressions count all the time and I know sometimes I've not made you know I've not been at my best I've not made the best mm-hmm. first impression and then someone's completely cut me off and I just think actually I was you know, I was having a bad day I wasn't my quality of service wasn't there but I, th- I always think if you just gave me one more chance mm-hmm. I'd totally prove that I am you know as good as I say I am and I'd be able to wipe the floor with the competition and I'd, I'd totally show you and I always think that in the back of my mind. If, if somebody lets me down, I'll always kind of give them a second chance. Yeah. I'll never forget it, but I'll give them a second chance. I'll yeah. Let them rectify it. And some people come back and they try it and even they, harder yeah, exactly. and prove you wrong even more. So I just think, I think people surprise you. I think there's, in recruitment, you find people will lie to you. They'll not turn up when they say they are. They'll turn up late. They'll tell you stories to get out of interviews and things. And it's a real eye-opener, it is a real eye-opener. And you, you realise what humans are like, human beings as, as yeah. a breed, you realise all their faults and the flaws, but also the good points. And it's trying to see the good in people that I find that I'm quite good at, being optimistic, being, you know, sort of motivating them, bigging them up, getting them ready for that job, interview, being the best you know candidate for the job. And I think in life, you know, that I'd like to think with friends and things, I am sometimes quite judgmental of people when I first meet them, but I will always give them a chance, you yeah. know, and um, I will always give them that, you know, sort of opportunity to maybe change my mind or maybe just prove that they're not the, um, the a-hole that <laughs> I just thought that they would yeah. be from first meeting them, so I think that's a good thing as well.
0: A slight change of uh, track here, mm-hmm. so what do you think? It's like, and what do you think of maybe the biggest challenges faced by young gay people today?
1: Oh, it's weird because I, um, my niece, for is the eldest niece that I've got is 14, and she's got a gay friend at school. And, you know, to be openly gay at 14 mm. at school with, you know, all the friends and stuff, I think it's quite good. I think it's really, you know, definitely positive. I think it's really brave. But I think, have we really come that far already? Mm-hmm. Have we? I'm just, like, quite surprised that they're all... I'm glad it's happening and I hope mm-hmm. more of it does happen. Um, I think the biggest challenge they have is trying not to grow up too fast. Totally, I just think this... My niece is 14 and she's talking about, you know, how she's just had a bottle of WKD on the park with her friends and I remember when she was 13, I found a lighter, you know, in a pocket and things mm-hmm. like that and she's wearing makeup and she dyes her hair and she has. Her, what she wanted for Christmas was her hair straighteners and that's all she wanted. She didn't want anything else, she wanted GHD hair straighteners. And I just think, yeah, I think it's really difficult for young people not to... Because I felt like I'd gone out when I was... I started to, to go to pubs yeah. and clubs when I was, like, 15 and 16 and I thought that was quite young. But my niece is, like, 14 and she's already started to do mm. it and started to talk about it and started to get drunk in the bus stop while having a 10-pack of empty number 1 in a pocket, you know. And I just think it's just so young, but it just seems to be more and more. Um, the biggest challenge, I don't know, I think it's trying to find, the biggest challenge I would find is trying to find your own way, trying to find your own, you know, path. Not, you know, obviously you have influences and different people around you which can provide you with a guidance, but just go with what your gut feeling and your instinct tells you. And try not to, you know, try not to be pulled down uh, avenues and stuff that you don't want to go down. It, it's not right for you, but you've done it because, you know, other people mm. around you are doing it, because it's cool, because it's great, you know, because you might have a good laugh, but actually, you know, just follow what who you are deep down inside, you know, and don't try and be, be someone that you're not. I think there's all this celebrity and Jordan hype mm. and stuff, and trying to... Raise your game or trying to become somebody you know like that in the media or something like that is you know it's not the best thing in the world mm. and if it's not really truly who you are deep down inside I think that's why so many of the celebrities are in rehab and have problems mm. because it's just not you know not making them map. Mm. so I think it's trying to find your own happy peaceful loving roots. Mm. and that's why I think it's the biggest challenge for them yeah because they do have so, so many things go, going yeah. around I kinda of learnt on the job and I kinda of just went along with it and kinda of picked up experience as I went along and you know, and I think that for me it was quite lucky I suppose in a way. I didn't uh, I was quite naive, I didn't have any what's the I didn't have any preconceptions, I didn't have any pre- preconceived ideas. Yeah. I didn't know what you know, queer as didn't come out <laughs> until I was already, you know, full blue. <laughs> So, if, they, if young kids see, you know, watch Queer as Folk, I, I mean, I remember watching Queer as Folk and thinking, I hope my mum's not watching <laughs> us, because I don't want us to think that like, this is what we're all like. I think it's that's probably what I mean, try not to be yeah. stereotyped, and try and follow your own route that's true to yourself, not just go with the, the stereotypical yeah. trends, or the scene, or whatever, just follow what feels right for you, in, inside.
0: Yeah. And finally, um, it kind of follows on from that question is if, mm-hmm. you, if there's a young uh, lgbt person listening to this now what yeah. sort of message would you have for them if they're going through a tough time or if they're having even a fantastic time welcome to the welcome
1: yeah and um, i think you'll find there's more lovely supporting wonderful people out there from all walks of life um you know that, that are there to help listen Be a friend, you know, you might be having a fantastic time, but you will go through some bad times. At the moment, if you're going through bad times, you know, it can only get better. Mm -hmm. And there is, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. Loads of people have been through so much crap and come out of it the other side. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, have strength, you know, don't give up. Keep, you know, be stubborn like me, you know, dig your heels in. And don't let people get you down. It's it's so easy to say, but it's so difficult to do. And to come through it and myself and be like, you know, from a bit of a tortured sort of schoolboy past and stuff. You know, it does get better. You never forget it, but it makes you stronger, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Mm. Set me oh, off again.
1: <laughs> Didn't it, where do no, it still affects you? Yeah. like Filling up every five minutes. I was just like, oh my
0: god. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Mm
1: well thank you very much you Yeah, welcome yep, that's brilliant thank you